Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, welcome to the Heart Over Hype podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Shamar Charles. This podcast focuses on the goal of providing unique and culturally sensitive perspectives on physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health and wellness. Our goal is to provide you with the best millennial and Gen Z health news you can use. If you like this podcast, follow us on Instagram at HOHThePodcast and give us a rating of five stars on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Now, without further delay, let's get started. Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Heart Over Hype podcast, your one-stop shop for health news you can use. I'm your host, Dr. Shamar Charles, and today I have with me a very special guest, Emmy Award-winning host, broadcaster, and health advocate, Jessica Larche. Jessica is an Emmy Award-winning journalist, motivational speaker, wellness advocate, and creator of the Decide to Live podcast with Jessica Larche. She spends her mornings waking up thousands of families in the Hamptons Roads region as the main anchor of WTKR News 3 this morning. Jessica's special reports throughout her 12 years in news television have created change on local and state levels, earning her Emmy and Associated Press Awards. But in 2012, as her career in news was taking off, she faced a health crisis due to her roller coaster weight and food abuse struggles. She was diagnosed with high blood pressure at just 27 years old, and she realized she could no longer patch her anxieties with food binges if she wanted to live. Her journey to lose 100 pounds and the mental, physical, and spiritual work to keep it off saved her life. Her journey was celebrated on the cover of Women's Day magazine in 2016 and in several other national publications. Her journey to her passion, rather, to help others along the way inspired her to create the popular Jessica on Journey blog in 2014. She expanded her mission in 2017 with Decide to Live, a podcast and online talk show series where she shares wisdom and tools to conquer life's obstacles. She says, the storyteller in me knows sharing the lessons I'm learning along the way, the real stuff you don't expect the news lady to talk about, will help all of us decide to live. Jessica is a summa cum laude graduate of Florida A&M University's prestigious School of Journalism and Graphic Communication. She's also a proud member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated and volunteers with the Hamptons Roads Chapter of the American Heart Association, as well as Parents Against Bullying. I want you all to know that Jessica is absolutely amazing. We met last year at the annual NABJ conference and we instantly became friends. Her story is very inspiring. She's an awesome wife, sister, and mentor, and she's full of quotes. Her favorite being, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Thanks for being here with us, Jessica. I am so excited to be here. Thank you for asking me on this journey with you. So let's jump right in. Losing 20 pounds in and of itself is incredible, but you lost over 100. Can you tell us a little bit about your life, how you got here, how you got started. I know that your dad played a major role in your journey, so I'd love to know a little bit about him and your connection. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, my my dad is certainly, um, and God rest his soul, is a central figure in my journey. Um, and so I, I grew up in New Orleans on the West Bank of the New Orleans metro area. And so growing up in New Orleans, uh, food is a part of the family. 
It's a part of the culture. It's how you say hello, how you doing? Uh, you're not feeling good, all of those things. Um, and, and so, you know, growing up, um, I didn't realize, I didn't make the connection between feelings of anxiety and food um, because food was such a celebrated part of our, our culture in New Orleans. Um, and, and so my mom was also a single parent. Um, you know, she did not expect to raise me alone. Her and my dad were married. And um, unfortunately, my dad went through two really traumatic losses in his life. He lost his brother in a tragic motorcycle accident and his mother to suicide within a one-year time frame. And um, thank you, thank you. Um, and so those two losses um, at, you know, really within a, a year of each other, and the second loss came on the day my mom found out she was pregnant with me, um, he didn't really have the tools to cope, and he unfortunately turned to drugs, um, which severed their relationship. Um, he left. He got into some trouble with the law, um, which is, is so, um, especially as an adult now, I'm 35, and I'm learning more about his life even now. Um, it's so heartbreaking because he was such a beautiful, kind, caring charismatic, loving man um, who had a series of really tragic circumstances happen. And because he did not have the tools to cope, um, made some um, decisions that really altered the course of his life, of my mother's life, of, of my life. Um, and, and so my, um, my mom being the strong, incredible, amazing woman that she was, um, as a single parent raised me, and uh, she taught me to love my dad, even though I did not technically meet him until I was eight years old. Um, she told me all, only good things about him. I didn't learn about all these things until I was well into my teens. Um, but she taught me to love him. And when I hugged him that, that first day in Lake Charles, Louisiana, when I was eight years old, um, it, was, it was only love. And um, he was still um, relatively healthy at the time. He had overcome his drug addiction. He was working. He had you know, started a new life. Um, but over time, um, we could see that he had replaced one addiction for another. Um, and he was only 57 when he passed away in 2011, and he was somewhere around 400 pounds when he died. Um, and the biggest thing from his death that I remember um, at his funeral, looking in his casket, I remember um, his gorgeous curly hair, salt and pepper hair, and I was rubbing his hair. And I just remember distinctly thinking it did not have to be this way. Um, and there were a series of decisions um, that led to that path for him. Um, and so it was a seed planted in me at that moment. I was, had been struggling for a long time with my own weight. I was around my highest weight at the time when my dad died, maybe around 250, 260 pounds. And I'm 5'2", to put that in some perspective. And um, I just remember thinking, you know, you're, he, he loved you the best way he could. Take this lesson from his life when you're ready and decide to live. Um, so, so that is where um, that mantra, decide to live, comes from. Um, my, my dad's life and I will I will not allow him his life to be in vain and it is my prayer through sharing my own um, wellness journey um, not just with weight loss but with mental health too you know I talk about struggles with anxiety um, that those lessons that I can pass on are 
you know, a, a thank you to him saying that, listen, I know your life didn't go the way you want it to, but people will learn from your mistakes, right? And, and, and hopefully make better decisions. And that starts with me. At what point did you make the connection between mental health and food insecurity? Wow. Um, when I went to therapy, let me tell you, those shirts that say Jesus and therapy, they are not lying. Um, you know, I, I certainly would not say I am, um, I'm not a religious person, so to speak, but I, I am in the church house pretty much every, every Sunday because it is um, a spiritual enrichment. I, I feel like I've always had um, a very deep connection with God. And I think that is really um, a testament to my ancestors who prayed for me before I even got here. Um, and I always think of my dad's mother, my grandma, you know, who, um, you know, unfortunately took her own life. She struggled with depression that I think that she has been, um, an angel for me, um, in heaven and, and, and looking out for me. And so I, um, actually had in 2011, in the spring of 2011, a panic attack on the air, um, while I was delivering a report. And um, I was maybe around, again, 250, 260 pounds at the time. I had done some light binge eating before my live report. And um, they called me upstairs and I, I ran upstairs. Our control room was upstairs and I couldn't breathe. I couldn't catch my breath. The, the camera turned to me and I couldn't talk. My whole body was constricting. I felt my heart. Um, I felt like my heart was in my throat. And... Um, it was uh, a traumatic moment for me, honestly. And I spent um, several months going to my doctor, um, you know, saying, hey, is it my thyroid? What's wrong with my heart? And due diligence, she checked everything because I was overweight at the time. She was considering my family history of diabetes and high blood pressure. Um, but because, and I'm so grateful, um, my um, main doctor is a black woman. She looked at everything. She also said, well, I think I think you should see a therapist. And at first I was almost offended. Like, are you trying to say something wrong with me? <laughs> you know, um, the stigma, right? The stigma. Um, and so she, she um, recommended another black woman, Dr. Nottingham, who I talk about a lot. And I was stubborn and did not go for eight months. And those eight months were hell trying to figure things out on my own. And eventually I just surrendered. I said, okay, God would not have put this path in my life if it wasn't something I needed. And I started um, going to therapy and she helped me make the connection of even things from when I was a little girl. Um, for example, sometimes at night, if I would have a bad dream, I would run downstairs and like eat butter or eat whatever um, was left over in the, in the um, fridge at night. Um, or um, if I was at school and I was nervous about something, I would daydream about what I was going to eat later on. Um, so these are connections that I would never have made um, without Dr. Nottingham um, making those connections. And one of the biggest puzzle pieces she put together, there was a moment when I was in college at Florida A&M University, shout out to FAMU Rattlers, and um, I was having uh, just a rough day beating myself up about my weight. Um, actually. And, you know, I had been perfect in everything else in my life. 4.0 in, in high school, valedictorian, 4.0 at FAMU, um, in student government, all these things. But my weight all throughout my life was always the Achilles heel. And I was beating myself up um, ab about my weight that one particular day, I was a sophomore in school. And um, 
ran out of the house, went and got a family-sized um, meal from Popeye's, five biscuits. I'm talking about like five pieces of chicken, five biscuits, two large sides. Um, I came in my room and I sat in my bed and ate it all in, 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 in one fell sweep. And then to beat myself up more about that, I went to the store, got an entire key lime pie, sat in my bed and ate all of that. And then I started crying profusely. I ran out of the house, I got in my car and I just started driving around Tallahassee. And I wound up at this place, beautiful place in Tallahassee called Lake Ella, where I just like tried to calm myself down and talk to God. And so I relayed that experience to Dr. Nottingham, to my therapist. And she said, baby girl, that was, that was a panic attack. And I was like, wait, what? It, it was. And I, she, she helped me make the connection. She said, you were trying to soothe feelings of anxiety by eating. And that, that's, you know, you've had this negative relationship with food and that's what's led to the weight struggle. And that's why it's a merry go round. I said, oh Lord, Jesus, <laughs> you know, and understanding what the root of something is, is 99% of the way um, to achieving healing it doesn't mean it's going to be a perfect walk forward, but if you can understand why you are the way you are, um, and if you know that you need to make changes and adjustments to be healthier, mind, body, and spirit, it's 99% of the bat battle. And I, had I not um, surrendered to God's plan, had I not um, humbled myself to the fact that I can't do it all on my own and gone to therapy, I would still be in a merry-go-round um, struggling, um, sh struggling in a very unhealthy way because this still isn't a perfect journey, right? But I would, I would not have taken the steps it took to, um, to lose the 100 pounds that I did and, and, and be in a healthier version of my body. That is an incredible story. Something that comes to mind as I'm listening is this concept of dual pathology. Basically, we have two things going on, but our mind focuses on the aspect of our disease that bothers us the most, and that wins out. It's not that we can't focus on multiple problems. It's just that our minds are hardwired mm -hmm. to fix one problem at a time for efficiency's sake. You discussed panic attacks and food insecurities, but I also heard fantasizing about food, and that's more that reminds mm. me more of food addiction. And food addiction is similar to what your dad experienced. So my question to you is, when you look back, have you made any connections between mm -hmm, your mm -hmm, father's mm -hmm. behavior or maybe even the behaviors that you've seen from other family members and your own when it comes to food addiction, food insecurity, and your relationship to food? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think that, and my therapist and I talked about it and, 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 you know, I said, you know, my father struggled with addiction. I was like, does that mean I'm an addict? And, and she said, well, there's a fine line. Um, but she said, you can have addictive tendencies with food. Um, and certainly there is some genetic, you know, um, thread there um, that can have, have you lean um, in one direction. And so what the biggest thing I think is because different people have different vices. For some people, maybe alcohol. For some people, it could be sex. For some people, it, it could be food. And so it is, what is your coping mechanism, right? What is, what is the thing you lean on um, that's almost like a um, diversion? What is an, a, a, something that helps you escape? And so for my dad, one of the less societal, um, if you want, so to speak, 
um, methods of escapism for him was drugs. It was cocaine. Um, but society more accepts food because it is not illegal, so to speak, right? But it's the same premise. You know, my father and I were dealing with the same premise of there's something that we were upset about, something anxious about, something we don't have complete control over that's happening around us that is a soothing mechanism. Um, one of the things though, and, I'm, and I've been doing a lot of studying and writing about this too, is looking at, okay, you know, if the, if the father is an addict, if this family member is an addict, what are the chances that the offspring um, are going to have similar tendencies? And one of the things that I found, and I'm sure you've talked about too, is the addictive nature of added sugar and how sugar in our brains um, causes our brains to light up the same pathways that cocaine would, right? And so if I look back at every single binge that I've experienced in my life, it always involved sugar or flour, which also lights up the same pathways in the brain as cocaine does. Um, you know, those types of things. And I, now I can look back on it, I was like, wow, no, no wonder those are in those moments when I was stressed, it felt like I, it was so hard to pull myself away from, you know, two or three boxes of Krispy Kreme donuts, um, you know, or um, a bucket of ice cream or um, uh, uh, an entire loaf of bread, um, you know, a box of waffles. Um, in any of those things um, that cause those type of reactions in the brain, and I said, oh my God, that's the same thing daddy was, was doing at first with cocaine and then with food. Uh, so knowing that, it's like, okay, if I understand that I may be predisposed in that way, I have to, at times, especially when my willpower is fainting, um, be smart about making decisions about what food do I have around me? You know, is, is this a day where I can handle, I love these squash blueberry waffles. Is this a day where I can handle that? Or is this a day where I have to, you know, lovingly turn to my husband and I thank God for that man um, and say, babe, I can't handle having, um, you know, waffles or pasta or um, chips in the house for like the next month. And he says, okay. And that's, and that's it. And then, you know, it's not a sign of weakness. Some people say, oh, well, you know, you should just be able to be strong and, and, and just not eat it. Well, no, you need to know yourself. <laughs> and if, if I know me and I, you know, God has given me a, a best friend, a partner, my husband who respects what my journey has been like and the journey I went through before he and I ever got together, um, then you can create a life that allows you to thrive. I don't have to have, you know, we, we wouldn't blink an eye if someone who had been addicted to cocaine says, you know what, I don't want any cocaine in the house. Well, of course you don't. You know, I don't want any weed in the house. Well, of course you don't want a weed in the house. You know, so for me, sometimes it's like, you know what, I, I, I can't have, you know, this uh, bagel in the house because it's not going to be just one bagel. It's going to be 10. Um, so absolutely. And that's another part of deciding to live, right? That message coming from my dad is learning those things um, from him. I'm his daughter. Um, and while I can choose to chart a different path, I also have to be smart about this, right? And say, if he dealt with something, it doesn't mean I will, but it means I would be smart to avoid some of those pitfalls and learn from his life. So I'm hearing three things here. 
One, language matters. We flippantly throw around labels like, I have a sweet tooth without seeing the harm in that. Labels often lead to a self-fulfilling prophecy. And to take it one step further, labels don't take into account our full spectrum of eating habits. One person can have a Krispy Kreme and not go for seconds. Like it doesn't even cross their minds while another person may have a Krispy Kreme and they literally have to fight themselves from going for another. So that's one of the things that I'm thinking about. Two, sugar is a drug. It is a real drug and our bodies know it. You can tell by how the dopamine receptors act in our brains, how our mood perks up at even the thought of dessert. So it's no surprise to me that the very first thing people suggest that they cut out when they're really serious about weight loss is sugar and carbs. They know consciously and subconsciously that those two things are impacting their mental health even before they make the connection to its impact on their physical health. And three... Uh, There are two schools of thoughts when it comes to battling any addiction. The first being going cold turkey and the second being elimination. Like, I just can't be around this stimuli. I can't be around this food. Both of these popular methods requires you to know about tolerance and withdrawal. Tolerance, uh, for everyone listening, is a uh, physiological and psychological process where we get less sensitive to our addictive substances. And therefore, we need to get more of it to get high. And withdrawal is that icky, almost sickly feeling you get when you don't feed your addiction. In this case, it's that sickly feeling you feel when you don't have that snack that you're desperately craving. So I think that those are three salient points that you made. But uh, I'm going to switch gear because I have a fourth additional thought. Um, uh, and this is something that I talk about very candidly with family, friends, and patients. What I do whenever I'm approached about weight loss is I ask them to provide me with the reasons why they'd like to begin their weight loss journey. Is it for health reasons? Is it to fit into your genes again? Is it to improve your quality of life? Is it for more energy? What is the real reason you want to lose weight? It's not always easy to answer, uh, so I'm punting that question to you. What were your reasons for wanting to start this weight loss journey? Well, look, I mean, for much of my life, and I struggled with weight, like it was a little extra weight when I was, um, you know, maybe in middle school and high school, but my weight really soared once I got to college because growing up, I was always in dance and cheerleading. Um, So that um, was kind of battling out with my eating habits. And then when I got to college, I, I was so focused on journalism and student government, and I didn't have anything physical activity to balance um, my abusive and addictive eating habits. So I gained 50 pounds throughout the course of the time and then went up and down and up and down. Um, and so at first, especially in my early 20s, my desire to lose weight had nothing to do with health. I wanted to wear the cute little mini dresses like my line sisters and be in a club and shake that thing. That's what I wanted to do. That's what I wanted to do. Um, and, And so in the back of my mind, like most 20 year olds, I was thinking, well, you know, this, this weight is going to become an issue um, down the road. If I, if I don't take care of it, but health was not the number, it was maybe in the top five, but it wasn't number one. Um, but when, at least in my experience, when your motivation is superficial, um, it doesn't last. 
um, that would get me maybe 20 or 30 pounds. Um, and then I'd have a bad day and reach for another bucket of chicken and I gain it all back and then another 10 or 20. Um, and so it, it created a cycle. Um, you know, even in getting my first job in television and I, I credit my first boss um, at the Fox station in Jackson, Mississippi, where I got my start, uh, Mike Ingalls, you know, he hired me and I was close to my highest weight when he hired me. And I remember being so afraid that no one was going to hire me um, because I didn't look like everybody else on TV. Um, and so I say that to say, having people who empower your skill set, even when I did not look like everyone else, was huge because I never doubted my talent. And I'm almost, to be honest, grateful that I didn't lose the weight before I got my first job because then I never had to equate one with the other. Um, it, it, it allowed me to know that my skill set was great. And it also allowed me to, when I was ready, make the decision to, to get healthier um, through weight loss and mental health therapy um, purely for my health and not for a job. Um, it allowed me to separate those two things, which I'm grateful for. Um, but when I got to um, my mid-20s, I was mid to late 20s, I was 27, 26, 27, and um, I had a high blood pressure scare. Um, my dad had passed almost exactly a year before, and um, I was having um, these really bad headaches that um, even BC powder couldn't fix. And I said, well, Jesus, if BC powder can't do it, then it can't be done. Uh, <laughs> so I was, I, I, you know, had been struggling with these headaches for a week and I went to, I called out of work, went to um, like one of the urgent care clinics and my blood pressure was something like 150 over 110. Um, and they kept having to check my blood pressure. And um, I may have been around 250 pounds at the time, 250, 260. And, you know, I just remember sitting in the room thinking, oh my God, my choices have caught up to me. And then I could feel my dad's presence. And I'm thinking about my dad in the casket, right? And, you know, I'm thinking about my mom who sacrificed and did the best she could, but she struggled with diabetes and was also overweight. Um, and so I'm thinking about all these things and I'm like, oh my God, my choices have caught up with me. The doctor comes in, he writes me a prescription for high blood pressure and sends me on my way. There was no talk about, um, you know, different health choices. There was no discussion about here's what high blood, high blood pressure is and here's why it's a problem. No discussion, just here's the pill, Call, come back in about a couple months and we'll see if it's still high. And it, it dawned on me like, oh my God, why is high? Like, no, even though my mom, my dad before he died, my aunt, my grandmother, my great aunt, all of them were on high blood pressure medication, but we never talked about what high blood pressure actually was. So I Google like a, uh, you know, a, a good researcher and um, learned that high blood pressure was a main cause of heart disease and stroke and understanding that, it, you know, your vessels are constricted. And I'm like, oh my God, like I've started to understand what um, my choices were doing to my, my body. And that was a moment where anxiety worked in my favor <laughs> because it was able, I was able to focus and be like, Jessica, this is one of those moments that God gives you. It's a fork in the road. You can either choose life or a path 
that is going to be really difficult for you. And you don't know if you're going to get this kind of um, covered, I like to say, covered choice again. And it was in that moment I went home, I took out all the processed food in the house, um, uh, all the Tony, um, Tony Sacheries, which is a New Orleans style of, um, it's a Creole seasoning. Um, you know, I, I remember being in, looking in the mirror and just crying and feeling my dad's presence. I was talking to God and um, that, that was the moment I started researching foods that help with high blood pressure. And that's when the kale and the quinoa came in. <laughs> And, um, and, and so that was really the, the beginning of my journey, um, that I still walk today, the highs and lows and everything in between, but it, um, it took me, um, four or five years in all to lose a hundred pounds. And I, I even had someone who had the audacity to say, well, shouldn't you have lost it faster than that? I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> um, you know, this is not a journey that, um, it's a lifelong journey. And I had been up and down that um, roller coaster for so many years that I said, I, you know, what's different? What's different is I have my ancestors on my side and I'm enlisting their help. What's different is I know God is holding my hand and he's not disappointed. He just wants to walk with me on this. What's different is I'm not doing this to look a certain way or to fit into a certain size dress. I'm doing this so I can live you know, what's different is I'm going to therapy and addressing the root of a lot of the abusive eating patterns that I had with anxiety. Everything was different and you cannot put a timetable on what that looks like. You know, we hear a hundred pounds as a marker of success, um, but the most successful thing I did was in that moment after that high blood pressure diagnosis in, uh, that was 2012, was make a decision to take it one day at a time. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm so grateful I did, you know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, you want, you've got a gold pair of jeans or a gold dress that you want to get into. Those things are fun, but at the end of the day, it's about your life. It's about being here. And I think about my dad and he would have changed everything if he could have danced with me at my wedding. And I don't want to look back and have, um, a moment where I'm like, man, if I would have made a different series of decisions about my health, where could I be? Wow, just wow. Well, for one, we normally hear that obesity, like hypertension and diabetes, is a silent killer, mm -hmm. but you got a very real, not so silent scare there. And in every weight loss journey, there are ups and downs, we know that. Um, but we don't always listen to the signs, so kudos to you for listening to your body for listening to your doctor's yes. advice and really getting on the right track. But I know you haven't done this alone. So can you tell us a little bit about Sean and his role in this journey? So I, um, it wasn't like, oh, bet, I gotta lose a hundred pounds. My, to be quite honest, my first, um, the first goal was to um, get healthy enough to where I didn't need to be on high blood pressure medication anymore. And so the first year, I think I lost about 30 or 40 pounds, or maybe in the first eight or nine months or so. Um, but within about a year, a year and some change, um, I was able to get off of high blood pressure medication, which was a huge, spectacular moment for me. Um, and so that was the first like health marker that I knew was good. And so then after that, um, I did come up with like tangible goals to keep me always pushing toward a goal. 
Um, because the thing about being healthy on the inside, you don't always, you feel it, but you don't always see it. And I certainly think it's okay to give yourself visual markers of things to push for that keep you on a healthy track. Um, so after I got off high blood pressure medication and was happy about that, um, my next thing I was thinking was Wonderland. Like I wanna get to Wonderland. And anyone who's had a lot of weight to lose knows that means there's a one in front of your weight. You know, um, I had been in the 200 for so long. I was like, okay, I, I wanna get to Wonderland. And I promised myself, I was like, listen, when I get to Wonderland, I will treat myself to a fun little photo shoot. And so I got to Wonderland like right before Thanksgiving um, of 2013 or something like, yeah, 2013. And I got myself together with that cute little photo shoot and nobody's seen the pictures with me, but I know they're there. <laughs> and um, so that, that, was, that, was, that was fun. Um, and then after that, I said, okay, um, I looked at the next marker as being, okay, what would it take for me to lose a hundred pounds? Because I knew um, at about that weight, I um, was still going to feel healthy and strong because I'd started to lift weights. I love lifting. Um, and when you're lifting, you're building muscle mass, you're still burning fat, but you're building muscle mass. And so if you live and die by the scale and you're lifting, you're going to be disappointed because you're gaining muscle mass, but you're losing fat. And so the numbers don't always look like you're making progress when you actually are. Um, so that was the next goal I said, I was like, okay, I'd love to get to it by a certain point. And um, yeah, that happened in around 2016, right? Yeah, around 2016 when I hit the 100 pounds lost. And that was a moment I got on this, I got on the scale that morning before work and I get up at two 30 in the morning. Cause I anchor a morning show. We have to be at work at three 30. So I get up in the middle of the night and my husband and I, we were engaged at the time. And I got up, I got on the scale and I saw it read, you know, that it meant that I lost a hundred pounds. I was like, Oh my God. So I bless his heart. I woke him up. <laughs> I was like, baby, baby, come see, come see. And so he saw, I said 167 on the scale. And he's like, baby, I'm so proud of you. Oh Lord, I'm so proud of you, baby. And then he went back to sleep. Um, so that was an incredible moment. And I learned a lot in the time since then, um, because it is very easy to be imprisoned by that number on the scale. And I had become for a time very fixated that I felt like if it didn't say 167 exactly that I was a failure. And so I went through, you know, uh, two or three years of an up and down with that. And I gained some weight, um, about 20 pounds. And I was like, well, that's it. I, I'm, I'm a failure. And, and then, uh, you know, my therapist and God and my husband reminded me like, you have to give yourself grace. This is a lifelong journey. You know, it's okay. And um, so I'm, I'm so grateful for that. But you asked about Sean Washington, the love of my life. And um, Sean, Sean is the manifestation of my prayers um, when it came to a partner. And I say that because um, I had started writing a letter to God years ago about um, what I desired in a husband. And I wasn't obsessive about writing this letter. Um, it was just like things that would come to mind. I'd jot it down in my journal. And one of the things I wrote about my husband was that, I said, God, please let him be someone who um, is also fitness-minded, um, loves to work out, loves, you know, loves health and wellness, who can come in and be a partner with me on this journey. 
Um, I'm like, cause Lord, if you send me them and they, they love the, the fried chicken and, um, and the donuts and they want to have it in the house, it's going to be a problem and I'm it's not going to work. And so I joke because Sean and I knew each other casually until we ran into each other at a football game. And we had our first real intense, deep conversation. We were laughing and talking and joking. And he, he looked back to get something and I saw his shoulder muscle pop out. I said, well, Jesus, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> and, um, we, and I'll never forget our first conversation he had to cut short because he had promised himself he was going to go to the gym that day. And I said, and, and, oh, so, um, no, Sean has always, you know, been someone he's, he has been fitness minded and loved working out. And, you know, we talk about a sweet tooth. He loves his sweets, but if he knows um, it's not a good day to have him around me, he won't. Um, if he's got to go to this place called cookout and get himself a milkshake, he, he will go and enjoy, you know, some alone time by himself. Um, on those times where I'm just like, hey, I'm not strong enough to deal with it today. Can't do it. It's not a good idea. Um, and he won't bring things in the house. Um, he he stepped lockstep with me on this journey. Never questioned, never made me feel weird or bad for saying, hey, I just, you know, we can't have potato chips in here. Never, never made me feel like something was wrong with me. Um, he understood my struggle. And he said, I'm here to, I'm your best friend. I'm here to help. We can do it. And to this day, um, even when he sees that um, my, my little waffle treat can go awry, he'll be like, do we need to throw these out? And if I'm not strong enough to say yes, the next day, they might just not be there. Um, and that's an act of love. Huge shout out to Sean. I can't emphasize the importance of having a partner on a journey like yours. In medicine, we call it sources of social support. But I also know that even in spite of Sean being a fitness enthusiast, your journey did start before he came along. What exercises and diets did you do pre-hubby? Did you try any fad diets or any weight loss programs? How did you kick this thing off? So by the time Sean and I got together, I hadn't hit my 100 pounds lost yet, but I had maybe been like 80 pounds down or something. I was already starting to lift. And so we were able to enjoy that together. But at the, at the beginning, um, after that moment where, I, you know, the high blood pressure diagnosis, I just started by walking um, because I had so much weight on my body and especially on, on my lower back that um, it felt like a knife was jabbed in my lower back if I did much more than that. So um, several times a week, I would walk on this track and it's at a place called Mount Trashmore here in uh, the Virginia Beach area. It's built on an old landfill, but it's beautiful now. Um, but I would say, okay, I'm going to walk three miles, three or four times a week. And then I did that for about a year. And then I started, I said, okay, well, I'll try um, the elliptical now that I have some weight off and my, my body can move easier. So I did that for a few months. And then one of the big challenges was trying group fitness classes. Um, and there was this class called body combat that I felt fit what I was doing spiritually. Like I'm in a fight for my life and I think I can connect with this workout class in a spiritual sense because this journey is spiritual for me as well. Um, and so being in that class, um, my best friend who lived here at the time would go with me and it just felt so good to kick and punch and hi and, you know, all of that. Um, and so I, I built up a great deal of cardio, um, strength and, um, physical, uh, muscular strength in that class. 
And so then after that, I started doing some personal training to kind of like, okay, what's, what's the next step? Um, and so with, when I started with personal training, that's when I really started to lift and feel strong and, um, and, and, you know, challenge myself, you know, flipping tires, stuff that I never dreamed that I would do or even want to do. Um, but I, I love doing those things now because it's about um, um, a spiritual, mental, and physical strength um, that this journey um, has gifted me. Um, so it was a progression. I, I, I could not start out doing CrossFit type workouts because I was not there. I would have been discouraged. So I just encourage people to start where you are. Do not try to um, mimic somebody else's um, journey because I started walking. Somebody else may need to start on a bike. You know, somebody else may need to start on those, the chair, a girlfriend of mine does chair one fitness, like just in a chair where you're moving your arms, like wherever you can start, start there and you'll progress, but you gotta, you gotta start where you can. Jess, you're amazing. And like a true journalist, you've answered all my questions, including the ones that were in my head, like my Mythbuster question, which was about whether or not people should start with high intensity workouts to jumpstart their metabolism versus starting low and slow. I think the answer to this is unequivocally to start low and slow. Do what y'all do what you can, y'all. Get your heart rate pumping and please, please, please don't hurt yourself. If it's fiscally possible, I would encourage you to get a trainer or to join a paid uh, digital fitness class. And if that's not possible, there are many free classes online. My homegirl, Stephanie, does a Caribbean-inspired dance class called Walk and Wine. My other brother, Pat Brazard, hosts a weekly fitness class called the PB3 Method. So there are resources out there. And for the diet component... I highly suggest tracking your food intake on an app called Car Manager. It's free. I don't get paid for, uh, by any of these people, but I definitely have used them before, and I think that it is incredibly helpful. Um, but there are many other resources out there. Google is your friend. Um, anywho, to end our conversation, can you tell us about your baby Decide to Live and where people can find your work? Absolutely. So I, I am a journalist. I'm a news anchor um, in Norfolk, Virginia, and I've, I've been here for a decade in journal, television journalism in all 13 years. And it's a true joy to tell stories. Um, and as I was on my own journey, I started to find the value in being very raw, real open and honest about my own story. Um, and its power to liberate others. And so uh, several years ago, I started the Jessica on a Journey platform. And as a part of that, just like I said, just sharing what we've talked about here on your podcast. Um, but I, I knew I needed to expand that because we all have so many stories to tell. One of, one of my favorite quotes is, um, you know, the mountains we face are gateways to our greatness. That is what my journey has taught me. And so if I'm learning from my mountain, you have a mountain you face that somebody else can learn from and, and we've all got these stories of triumph and 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 victory and moments where we thought we wouldn't make it but we did and sometimes that's all somebody else needs to hear is the moment you decided to live so they can decide to live too so i i called it decide to live it's an online talk show and podcast where i talk to people about the journeys they're on and what they faced and how we can all learn from them so we can decide to live in our own lives. And again, that, that message goes back to my dad. Um, and the day that I looked at him in the casket at his funeral and thinking about the power of the decisions we make 
And so it's my hope through Decide to Live that people can see that they deserve to make better decisions so they can be here to live the beautiful, abundant, healthy in mind, body, and spirit lives that they so deserve to live. Oh, and where you can find it. You asked that part too. Sorry, I get caught up. I get caught up. Um, you can find me on YouTube. It's Decide to Live with Jessica Larche. Um, you can also go to jessicaonajourney.com. I have all my social media there. And if you can just search Jessica Larche, L-A-R-C-H-E is the last name, um, you'll be able to find me. So I'm, I'm just so grateful that um, God has allowed me to be here to share what I'm learning and the ups and downs along the way. Because I listen, we deserve to live a good and beautiful life. And um, by sharing our stories, we can help each other do the same. True words have never been spoken. Thank you, Jess, for inspiring us with your story and your words of wisdom. You are certainly invited back anytime you like. And thank you to all of you who are listening. You have the power to decide to live, but your journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. If we've peaked your interest in any way to make a change we've done our job here if you have any questions or comments send me a direct message at hoh the podcast on instagram stay safe wear a mask and i look forward to our next conversation see you next week Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.